0: It's Day 3 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoy. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Well, here we are. Day three. I hope you guys are back for more. If you are, if you have been here the last two days, could you hit that like button for us? Also, if you're new here, could you hit that like button for us at some point if this Bible study helps you out in your learning? By doing so, you are partnering with us in the kingdom to be able to help to get the gospel message out to the world. We had more people checking in from all four corners of the earth yesterday. So thank you so much for letting us know where you are watching from. Now, also, if you could please make sure that you are subscribed either to our our channel on YouTube or to our podcast and hit that notification bell so that you know when the videos drop each day. And if you want to continue the conversation after these videos are done, you can join our Facebook group, which is where we are scheduling out our weekly groups and also encouraging one another and just praying for each other. We've got a prayer room going on. So it's just one more way that you can get connected. If you have any questions at all about this ministry or about this podcast, you can head to our website, heartdive.org. There you can also download our Heart Dive 365 reading plan. Lots of information there. And we also have a lot of information in our show notes or description box for more Bible study resources and information, including which Bible I am using. That question continues to pop up. So I have an interleaved ESV Bible. It's linked in my Amazon link below, as well as all of the highlighters and pens and all of the things that I love to use. So I want to start off here with one correction today. I jokingly referred to Immaculate Conception yesterday, and I honestly can't even remember what I was referring to because it kind of just popped off of my head, but that was a grammar slip on my part. The word that I actually should have used was divine conception, not immaculate, as that specifically refers to Mary's conception of Jesus and not a generic divine conception. So I just wanted to clarify that. Thank you to Michelle who pointed that out to me. Otherwise, we are getting into Genesis chapters 8 through 11 today. So let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another day, for the third day of a new year. So much significance of the third day, Lord, and it is no accident that we are going to be reading about the new beginning here today as we read about the flood and how you gave new life to not only the family of Noah, but ultimately to us as well. So we thank you for that, Lord, and we just pray that our eyes, ears, and hearts will be open to everything that you have that you would like to speak to us today, help us to learn to learn accurately, and also to be able to fellowship in community here, Lord, and help each other out. Iron sharpens iron. And so that is what we are here for. But we pray ultimately that it will be your voice that is heard through every comment, through every conversation. God, may you weave throughout every part of this ministry. Thank you for every person who is here, Lord. I pray that you will bless them today. Let them know you're with them, meet their needs. Let them know you are the great I am. Everything that they need can be sourced in you and from you. And so if there is anything, Lord, that is keeping us from being able to be in unhindered relationship with you, I just pray that you will bring it to our hearts today, bring it to our minds so that we can make things right. We can clear out our hearts of any junk. We can come here with clean hands and a pure heart. And may everything that we do today in thought and action be pleasing to you, Lord. We want to be able to worship you and bring you glory and honor in everything that we do. So forgive us where we have faltered. Also help us to forgive those who have hurt us or sinned against us. Please do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and power and glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're starting off here in chapter 8, where the flood begins to subside, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. Now, does that mean that God forgot about him? Absolutely not. God does not ever forget about us. We are always on his mind. So, this term here, remembered, actually speaks of an active attention back onto Noah and the ark and everything that was in it. So, this is remembering him in his mercy, and God made a wind blow over the earth. And again, this is that word ruach, in Hebrew, which oftentimes throughout the Bible refers to wind or the Spirit of God. So, whenever the Spirit moves, we know that things clear up, so we'll see that happen here. And the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, and the rain from the heavens were restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually and at the end of the 150 days the waters had abated and in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month the ark came to a rest on the mountains of Ararat now we do want to note here that the same amount of days that it took for the waters to fill the earth was the same amount of days that it took the waters to recede from the earth or to abate and lots of parallels of time running throughout the Bible. Also, the significance of the seventh month and the 17th Day of the month. What else happened on the seventh month and the seventeenth day? Well, first we have to take notice that later on in the book of Exodus, God actually changes the Hebrew calendar. God actually changes the calendar, putting the seventh month at the first month called the Nisan. And so when we take a look here, once that happens, we see the feast of the first fruits taking place. On the first Sunday, whenever a Passover is on a Thursday, the Feast of the First Fruits actually symbolizes that there's going to be a greater harvest, new life, and abundance. Then Israel came through the Red Sea on the 17th day of the first month, also symbolizing a new start and new life after they were able to escape the Egyptians. And then new grain came after the manna stopped on the 16th day, again, symbolizing new life. But even more so, the greatest 17th day of the first month is the resurrection. With the Passover happening on Thursday, Jesus rising from the dead on Sunday showing us that God is the God of new beginnings, giving us fresh starts, giving us new life. He is the God of the new. And it's no mistake that God had the ark rest on a mountain. Big things happen on mountains and we will see that throughout the Bible. And even though we don't know the exact location of where the ark landed, most scholars believe that this is in modern-day Turkey. Verse 6: At the end of the 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. Now a raven typically symbolizes a dirty bird or a scavenger or even is equated to evil. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth, so it never returned back to the ark, probably feasting on some of the carcasses is what would make the most sense here. Then he sent forth a dove, A dove in the Bible often symbolizing a peaceful bird, also the Holy Spirit. So if you keep that in mind, you can actually see the way that the Holy Spirit is moving throughout this story to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground, but the dove found no place to set her foot and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. And this brings to mind the scripture from 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, where it says, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the earth, looking for hearts that are set on him. And so that is the picture that we see of this dove. It is going to and fro throughout the earth, looking for a place to land. And so when you think about a dove landing, the Holy Spirit landing, he is looking for people to land on. He wants to be able to come upon us because there are three actually very distinct ways that the Holy Spirit dwells either with us, in us, or comes upon us. So remember whenever we were reading that scripture about the Spirit will not always strive with man, that means being alongside him, being in his vicinity. The second one being when the Holy Spirit is within us, that is when we get saved, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling within. But there's a third one of the Holy Spirit coming upon a person. And that actually requires an invitation by us to ask the Holy Spirit to empower us. This is what we will read about in Acts whenever the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples at Pentecost in the upper room. And that's when they started speaking in tongues, they were enacted into service. And that is available to us, but we have to be open and willing and invite the Holy Spirit to come in. And so watch what happens. He put out his hand and he took her and brought her into the ark with him. Now this too, I don't believe this is a mistake that this very detail was put into this story if indeed we are comparing this to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants us to be able to partner with him. Because if you think about it, faith and empowerment, neither one of those two things are a passive situation. We have to not only invite Jesus into our life as our Lord and Savior, that's our faith, but we we also need to invite him to come upon us. So faith and empowerment both require us to reach out our hand and partner with him. And he waited another seven days. And again, he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Now, olive leaves typically symbolize peace, restoration, hope, new life, new beginnings. So here this dove is returning with the evidence that there is indeed new life and dry land. But look what happens. He waited another seven days, what? And he sent forth the dove and she did not return to him anymore. I could not help but think why in the world is Noah continuing to wait another seven days? If I knew that there was dry land, I'd be like, everybody pack your bags, we're out of here. Because even when he had that full evidence that there was dry land, He still waits. Well, we have to remember that the only thing Noah knew going into this was that it was going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights and everybody was going to die. But guess what? After the rain stopped, they're still floating along for another 150 days. The Bible stories in our childhood didn't tell us that detail. And this wasn't a Royal Caribbean cruise ship we're talking about. I mean, this was a stinky hot boat ride with a zoo. Not to mention probably surrounded by carcasses outside, so being shut in may have either left Noah feeling as though God forgot about him in that entire year, and all he had was this promise that God would save him and his family, or it could have been that God's presence was with him in the boat, so he simply didn't want to leave until God said so. So, then I realized that was it, Throughout this entire year, he probably had so many ups and downs, I mean, literally on the waves, right? Doubting along the way, but ultimately developing so much patience and steadfastness in the waiting. What incredible faith being displayed before us. And in today's I need it now society, we have a really hard time with patients. I mean, mine is tested every single day when my kids keep barging through my door in the middle of filming or my video says that it's going to take an hour to render, followed by another hour to upload, followed by me mistakenly uploading the wrong video. So then I have to wait another hour. And I'm sure there are some who share that same sentiment waiting for this podcast to drop every day. So let's do a heart check. How do you fare when things don't happen in your timeline? Are you able to patiently wait on God? So now we are fast-forwarding one year later. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. Now in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out, and then God said to Noah, And I love this because God speaking to Noah shows how much grace he had and how much he valued Noah's life. Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you, all of the flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And this just brought to memory someone who commented saying, what about all of the animals in the sea? They weren't brought on the ark or were they? And we just didn't know. And other people answering and saying, it's likely that all of those animals of the sea were actually left in the sea and were able to survive the flood since that was their natural environment. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives went with him every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark, showing again that God loves families. And one interesting fact that I actually took note of in John Corson's commentary is that in a book by Dr. Dolph hooker, he's a scientist, he actually says that the ice age immediately followed the flood. And this would make sense because remember, the flood occurred whenever that canopy that covered the earth burst forth. And therefore, that bringing in all of this cold air from above the earth's atmosphere, which would then explain the fossils of woolly mammoths who have fresh vegetation in their mouths. And he goes on to say that the ice age actually caused a recession of water, which then would have allowed the continent, to become one giant piece of land. So that way the animals were able to migrate all across the earth once again, which is why we see such a diversity of animals being spread out throughout the earth. Now, I don't know how much of that is true. I just thought it was interesting and worth talking about because there is clearly evidence of the ice age. And so this could have been where it fit in. Verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. I just love that the first priority for Noah is to, build an altar to worship God. He didn't have anything to gain from it. It was purely to please God. And I just thought, wow, what is our motive and our heart whenever we are worshiping? You know, Are we coming to Bible study or are we going to church or are we singing our worship songs to get something out of it, to feel better? Are we trying to get something for ourselves? And then whenever we're not feeling it, when we don't get the goosebumps or we don't learn something new, Do we walk away disappointed because it didn't meet our expectations? Or do we look for ways to just simply bless God's heart because that's what worship really is all about. So heart check, is worshiping and pleasing God's heart your motive whenever you worship. And this just goes to show that it was likely the sacrifice and not actually the flood that caused God to never wipe out the earth again, as He we see him declare right here in verse 21, and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, so there it is, when This happened, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, so this won't happen until the final judgment, so while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Now, while the offering itself was pleasing to God, it was more so the heart of Noah that pleased him. So God is smelling this yummy barbecue from Noah and saying, good job, Noah, you're cooking the right way. But what a beautiful, merciful promise God gives us. And again, even when we are in a sea of doubt and uncertainty, his promises still remain. And that what once was destroyed can be renewed. And that is God's wheelhouse. We are a new creation whenever we receive Jesus. So unlike Noah, Noah, we actually know the final destination. So, let's end this chapter with a heart check. How does the story of Noah inspire you to deal with adversity? Chapter 9. And God Blessed Noah. Because that's what he loves to do. He wants to make his children happy. But not only did he bless Noah, he blessed his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So he's giving them that command once again, giving them this new lease on life, literally. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. So this innate fear in animals of humans. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be for food for you. So here we're seeing very distinct differences in the way that they are to live now. The first thing is that animals will now be scared of them. The second thing is that all of the animals are food. Whereas remember before they were supposed to be vegetarians. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything, but you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. So because blood represents life there is a respect that needs to be given for blood for life and so he is saying do not eat food with blood still in it and for your life blood i will require a reckoning from every beast i will require it and from man From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. So this is basically saying that the death penalty is being put into place for murder. So here we're seeing the foundation for government actually being laid. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. So this poetry here is important because It is intended to make an impact and give us the ability to be able to memorize the importance of this message. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So we are seeing God give Noah and his family this brand new beginning, giving us a new beginning as well as we were on the path to simply never exist if he didn't save Noah. So heart check, what do new beginnings look like for you? And how does it affect the way that you live? Because, you know, we're beginning a new year. Oftentimes we start to say, we're going to make changes. We're going to do different things. Do you guys have any resolutions set or do you have any goals made for this year? I know a lot of people typically do that or people have one word that they are trying to center their lives around. If you do, let us know in the comments below if you've got anything specific that you are working toward this year in this new beginning of time. Verse 8 Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. So, this is what is known as the Noahic covenant. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. So, again, he loves animals too. He's making a covenant with them. I establish my covenant for every beast of the earth. Which makes me happy when I look at my dog. I establish my that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. Now when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So here I drew myself a little rainbow to help me to remember what this symbol is. But of course, if you have grown up in church, you knew what the significance of a rainbow was. But isn't it amazing that this covenant promise has remained for thousands of years and still acts as a constant reminder of God's faithfulness to us today? So heart check what else in your life does the awareness of God and His promises show up in? And how can you cultivate a consistent awareness of His faithfulness? So that it's not just when we see a rainbow, we're like, thank you, Lord, for being faithful. What else in your life allows you to feel that presence, to know that He's around you, and that He will remain faithful and true? Verse 18, the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And we are going to see racial identity being established through these sons. Ham was the father of Canaan, and these were the sons of Noah, and from these people of the whole earth were dispersed. So Shem representing Iraq and the Arabs, Japheth representing Iran and the Persians, and Ham having settled in Africa. Now we'll see the details about this in just a little bit, but first, Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. So now he's going back to work basically and kind of going into autopilot because you know how it is whenever you start getting into a routine, everything you just start doing on a day to day basis, and you do kind of get into an autopilot mode. He drank of the wine and became drunk. Uh oh and lay uncovered in his tent. Now, the original writings point to the fact that this uncovered was due to some sort of immorality. We don't know what it is, but that is what it implied. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. So, rather than showing mercy and covering his father, He ran and he told his brothers in a mocking sort of way, because an ancient Hebrew proverb actually says that he told them with delight. So in a sense, he's making fun of his father or even undermining his authority. And we will see that in the way that Noah actually reacts to this. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. So they actually covered the sin of their father, whereas Ham exposed it. So if it isn't our sin, we really shouldn't be talking about it if you think about it. We should actually cover them in love because love covers a multitude of sin. It doesn't mean that we try to hide what people have done. I mean, there is a very corrective way to go about things in a biblical sense, but we don't go gossiping about it, is what I'm trying to say. And so, Shem and Japheth are obviously honoring their father, not wanting to expose him in any way. And so, when Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, and he said, cursed be Canaan. Now, oh, how come he's cursing Canaan? Canaan is Ham's son. So, why isn't he cursing Ham? Well. This just goes to show how sin will actually have its effects in generations to come. So, in a sense, this is looking at generational curses in the Old Testament. A servant of servants shall be to his brothers. Now, A lot of people have used this verse in history to be able to justify slavery, especially when we're talking about Ham, who were the dark peoples of the earth who settled in Africa. And so they would say that it was biblical to use Africans in slavery, which we clearly know is not true. And he also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. So Shem's name actually means glory. This is where the Jews and the Arabs come from, living in the Middle East. And from Shem actually comes Abraham. So it's fitting that his name would be glory because obviously Abraham's line comes Jesus. And then Japheth's name means ruler. Now after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. So his later years, not as glorious as his former years. However, we will see in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, that Noah is still included, which goes to show that even whenever we mess up, if we have a general sense of faithfulness and righteousness, God will honor our lives and he will allow us to leave a legacy despite our mishaps and our shortcomings. All the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. And now in chapter 10, we move to a section known as the table of nations. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. And I'm not going to stop on every single one of these sons, but I will let you know that in my notes over here, I have it all listed from the sources of either John Corson, my study Bible, or Enduring Word, which are my three main sources that I'm actually studying from right now. This is what those sources displayed through these names. However, I definitely encourage, again, personally, Personal responsibility that if you want to dig a little deeper as to where these people came from or who they represent today, I would recommend that you do that for yourself. What I also have here are maps of where these people settled or where they were or are and I actually got this I believe out of this resource here which is the Zondervan Atlas of the Bible so I love to show you guys my resources because I know a lot of people want to know what I use so I just took a picture of this and I printed it out since it's for my personal use I think that it's okay I hope it's okay now I printed it actually on tracing paper I like to use tracing paper just because it's really thin and then I just add some glue to the edge of it and just glue it right into the spine. And I also printed out a little genealogical table of the descendants of Noah, as you can see here, and also glued that into my Bible. So I like to have these little additional types of resources in my Bible. I also did print out the Bible project Poster of the entire book of Genesis. And so all of these things are linked in today's notes or in the show notes or description box, where if you want to go ahead and print these out, you can and add them into your Bible. So let's go. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz. Riphath, and Togorma, the sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clans in their nations. Now, the sons of Ham were Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, and Sabdika. The sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod, He was the first on the earth to be a mighty man, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So from the sons of Ham, we actually see many of Israel's enemies. And why is this guy Nimrod here in the middle of this whole genealogical pool? Well, his name actually means rebel or rebel, and he actually built Babel and is known to be very arrogant, and he's later associated with Assyria and Babylon, and so that identity continues all the way into Revelation. So very significant. So, the fact that he built Babel, this later becomes synonymous with Babylon, and that means gateway to God. But then later on, we see God change the name of Babel to confusion. So, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna, and in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, rehoboth Er, Kala, and Reason between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Leabim, Naphtuhim, Pathrusim. Keseluhim, and from whom the Philistines came, Kaphtarim. So this he here in verse 11 went into Assyria was Nimrod himself. Verse 15. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn and Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gurghashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Aradites, the zemorites the Hamathites, and the bites and Terabites. All right, had to throw a bad joke in there. I won't do it again. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar, as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim as far as Laisha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. So, here we are seeing the languages, lands, and their nations via the Tower of Babel, which we'll read about in chapter 11. Verse 21, to Shem also the father of all the children of Eber. Which, by the way, Eber's name means crossing over, and Eber is another form of the word Hebrew. The elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arkpashid, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, by the way, Job is from Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arkpashid fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Almoded, Sheleph, Hazar Maveth, Jira, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimelech, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. By the way, some scholars believe that this could have been Job. All those who were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Sephar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, in their nations and from these nations, spread abroad on the earth after the flood. This word earth here is the Hebrew word Eater, which refers to the physical earth, and we aren't speaking about peoples here. So the nation spread across the physical earth after the flood. So in the end of this chapter, that many of us have probably skimmed over in the past, we see God's sovereignty throughout the entire genealogy, which tells us that family history and where we come from is important because it gives us a sense of identity. And for us, that is knowing and understanding that Jesus came from a real family, from a real line of people, and we find our identity in Him, so our understanding of this is actually crucial. So, heart check. Where do you source your identity or your sense of belonging? So again, taking a look here at the genealogical table of the descendants of Noah, if you are a visual learner, this would be something great for you to have. And if you are listening by podcast, I definitely suggest that you download my notes so you can see what I'm talking about. But we have Japheth, Ham, and Shem. The most important thing here to see is that Abram came from Shem, which of course we know Abram leads to Israel, and of course, that ultimately leading to Jesus. Now we're going to see a dispersion of racial, cultural, ethnic, and familial diversity. And of course, this is going to be temporary until Jesus comes back to then unify the world once again. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Shinar, by the way, is modern day Iraq. Iraq. This is known as ancient Babylon in Mesopotamia, possible location of the Garden of Eden. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Bitumen is basically asphalt. And so this would have been similar to some of the materials that Noah actually used to build the ark. Now, if you think about what God uses in his building, he uses stone, And so, here as we focus on this human effort, this organized rebellion against God, we see them working in their own efforts. So, therefore, they are using bricks, which bricks obviously are nowhere near as strong as stone would be. And then they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. So, they're wanting to make a name for themselves, like the way that the Nephilim were famous in the land. And also, this tower here was likely a ziggurat, which was a pagan astrology tower. So they're wanting to do this to make a name for themselves unless we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So here's their disobedience right there, because remember, God's command was to be fruitful and multiply. So in other words, have babies and populate the earth. But they're saying, no, we want to stay right here in our little area. We don't want to be dispersed. So this is displaying sort of this self versus God, all rooted in pride and arrogance. And the Lord came down. So, some would say that this is what is known as a Christophany, which is Jesus coming to the earth in human form before He actually walks the earth. So, He came to see the tower which the children of man had built, and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. So, He knew that He was not about to allow them to go back to the days of Noah. And he sees it beginning right here. And he ain't going to let that happen. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language. So here we see him pointing toward the Trinity or the Godhead three in one. And this just shows his omniscience, the fact that he is all-knowing at all times. He isn't sitting up in heaven oblivious to what is happening in our lives here on earth. And the word confuse in verse 7 is actually a verb that is similar to the name Babylon. So, Babel and Babylon actually become a symbol for activities against God in the Bible, and we'll see that in Revelation chapter 17. So, this confusion, however, is actually reversed in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, whenever the Holy Spirit comes up. Upon them at Pentecost, where everyone was able to understand what was being spoken in their own language. So there was a unity in communication once again, and that will happen. True communication will happen whenever we are focused on the cross, whenever we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you've ever heard those miracle stories about people going on mission trips and actually being able to miraculously understand the language or speak the language. I actually know someone. I should have her on the podcast sometime. I'm going to call her up and ask her to do an interview because it's a pretty incredible story. And to this day, she still speaks Spanish. This was during her mission trip in Argentina. Verse 8, so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. So here we see God's third judgment, the first judgment, Adam and Eve being cast out of the Garden of Eden, the second judgment, of course, being the flood on the earth. And therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So here we have wrapped up God's displeasure with human selfish ambition, where we make our own plans and we manipulate it for our own purposes. Now to the world, this is what is encouraged, right? I mean, at the beginning of every year, people are making vision boards, they've got goals, they've got inspirational quotes about being successful and wealthy, and they're envisioning all of these great things for their life. Now that's not a bad thing. God does want us to prosper and to do well, but he wants us to be able to lead us into that life rather than us thinking that we are the general contractor of our own lives. So heart check, where is your ambition coming from? Are you building your life on your own or is God guiding your plans? And now we'll take a look at Abram's family tree starting off here in verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arkpashid, two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Arkpashid 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arkpashid had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah, and Arkpashid lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. Notice that the lifespan is actually decreasing. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber, and Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg, and and Eber lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Ryu. And Peleg lived after he fathered Ryu 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ryu had lived 32 years, he fathered Sareg. And Ryu lived after he fathered Sareg 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sareg had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Sareg lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram. So, all of that was to get to Abram. Thousands of years between Shem and Abram is likely what scholars say spanned that time. Now, these are the generations of Terah. So, we went from Abram's family tree to now seeing his family ties. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah. Now, Sarai actually means either princess or of noble birth, or I've also seen that it means contentious. Now, the majority of the definitions of her name are side with this of noble birth or princess, and Milka's name means foreign or queen and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarai was barren. So, this now pointing to a miracle that is going to take place in her life, because we know that she is going to have a child, and she had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came into Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, Terah's name actually means delay, and Haran means parched or barren. And there's always significance in the names of the Bible, or oftentimes there will be. And so, when you know the story about Abram being called by God to go to the land of which God will show him, which we know is Canaan, well, he was given this command while he was in Ur. But we're seeing here that they stopped short of that land and ended up in Haran, which is where his father Terah died. So there were two things of disobedience here. One, he is told, to leave his family and to go to this land and we see him here taking his father as well as his nephew lot but he also stopped short i mean this would have been like god saying i need you to leave new york meet me in florida but you stop somewhere in the carolinas but we will definitely read more about that in the chapters to come so heavenly father we just thank you so much for this word today the more that we read about you god the more that we just stand in awe of who you are the way that your hands so intricately move throughout history in order to carry out your divine purpose is just simply awesome so we thank you for the life of noah and showing us how faithfulness and obedience pleases you and leads to your protection and your restoration your fresh starts and ultimately your favor that is poured out unto our lives May we be a people who partner with you, reaching out our hand to behold the olive branch, for we know your desire is for us to live in peace and to hold on to the hope of one day being fully restored. And so I thank you for your constant reminder of your grace and your mercy through physical images like a rainbow, but also daily reminders as the sun rises over a new day, bringing new mercies with it knowing that your love and your promise is unconditional and will remain forever. And so I pray, Lord, that whenever we go through our own storms or our seasons of waiting, that you will build within us a patience and endurance and the ability to hear your command. And I pray that we will make worship a priority in our lives, the way that Noah did, worshiping you with sincerity, not for what we can get from you, but out of a place of gratitude, We wanna live our lives, Lord, in full obedience to you, not based on our own efforts. So forgive us where we have strived simply for our own good. We know that you want to bless us, but we cannot manipulate you or our situations in order to receive that blessing. So anytime we begin to build anything on our own effort, oh God, we give you permission to come down and to stop us in our tracks. So thank you for showing us the beauty today of the diversity in the world, and I pray that we will see each other through your eyes, both nationally and personally. So we give you all of the honor, the glory, and the praise to you this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death and every single one of us have fallen short and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because he loves us and he wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive him before we leave this earth as Lord and savior. Hell is a very real thing. And there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I wanna be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm gonna end up after I die, but I don't wanna live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're gonna say a prayer. And I'm gonna put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that He died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're gonna say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.